Hello and welcome back to F1 in Review. This week saw F1 remain at Silverstone for another crack of the whip that on this occasion failed to disappoint the aggrieved Orange Army. Let's get started. Sebastian Vettel's gone into Max Verstappen and under braking, Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish. Adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. Oh, by the way, all, was it Tristan last week saying, oh, it's going to be a rubbish race again. Oh, it was yeah. a good race. Mainly just because Verstappen won and something different happened. Good start. So I enjoy it. That's like the, the only Silverstone race that's going to be interesting for the next... I know, half a decade. Whoa. You don't know that. Couldn't even rain, Liv. It couldn't even rain when we needed to rain. Just Let's go. After qualifying in fourth place, the 22-year-old Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing silenced many of their recent critics by winning the second British Grand Prix and ending Mercedes' invincible run of six straight race wins which stretched back into the 2019 season. Tristan, in the eyes of some, Red Bull got it so wrong last week at Silverstone, but how did they get it so right this weekend? Well, this week, it really looked as if Red Bull had learnt its lessons from the tyre drama from the previous Silverstone race, with the conditions being slightly different to last week, track temperature being up, for example. All the teams knew that soft tyres could disintegrate quickly, and so more pit stops were going to be needed in order to get the cars over the line, both quickly and with all, all four wheels functioning. In F1, you have to use two tyre compounds, and as a rule of thumb, the hard compound tyre is somewhat less viable if you're going to have a battle with other cars. So at the start of the race, you want a softer tyre to give you plenty of grip in order to get a good start. So it's really only the soft and medium tyres that the teams can pick from if they want to be competitive. However, this weekend was slightly different. We found out from last week that the hard compound tyre was actually performing really well. And in qualifying, Verstappen got his car through Q2 into Q3 using the hard tyre, meaning that he had to start the race on the harder compound tyre. I should also mention that this weekend's Silverstone tyres were a step softer than last week's. So this translates into the hard tyre being last week's mediums, the mediums being last week's softs, and the softs being what we might call super softs, which are so soft that the cars might as well be run on large marshmallows. So at the beginning of the race, Verstappen got an excellent start, overtaking Nico Hülkenberg in the racing point and moving up into third place. However, where the Mercedes were on the softer tyre and would need to stop early to switch to another compound, Red Bull could use the longevity of and pace of the hard tyre to do what's known as an overcut on Mercedes and get enough track position whilst Mercedes are pitting in order to pit after them and still come out in front. So this is quite a challenge as the team needing to do the overcut essentially has to be as fast as the team they're trying to beat but with the disadvantage of having old tyres. So, Red Bull had to be both fast to beat Mercedes whilst not destroying their tyres. And this led to some quite entertaining radio calls between Max and his engineer. Max, I think we're a little bit close for tyres at this stage. Just pull back. Mate, this is the only chance of vehicles to Mercedes and not just sit behind like a grandma. And it worked. 
Well, mostly. When Red Bull did pit Verstappen, a slow pit stop actually brought Verstappen out behind Bottas. However, with fresh medium tyres, Max could retake the lead from Bottas and control the race. And that was it. Red Bull had the magic touch this weekend. An excellent strategy from Red Bull and quality driving from Max led him to win the race. But my worry is that it might be a bit of a fluke. The Mercedes doesn't perform well in the heat and allowing Red Bull to take advantage of that. But reality is the Mercedes is still much faster. Uh, one of the things I found out was a speed comparison in Stowe between Bottas, Hülkenberg and Leclerc. And with the Racing Point and Ferrari going through the speed trap at 218 kilometers an hour, Mercedes were still hitting speeds of 240 kilometers an hour. So given that tracks such as Monza are just going to be about the pace, we're going to need to see a minor miracle to get other drivers winning races this year. So what do we think? What do you think was the magic moment that led to Max being able to win this week? I would say, I would say the magic came from Max Verstappen himself. He's the... We, I think one of the, probably one of the main discussions in Formula One perhaps is who's going to be the heir to Lewis Hamilton when he does finally hang up his racing boots, whenever that will be. Um, and there's lots of talk about how we could see a great duopoly over the next decade or so, or even more between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. For me, I don't think Leclerc, maybe with a bit more experience, he could put in a performance such as this. But I think the fact that I remember when Verstappen was first in the sport, and even after a couple of years, he was still quite a raw talent, still making mistakes. But the last year or two, he's really, really upped his game. And he's becoming, even at the the, the tender age of 22 that he still is, the all-round driver, to be honest. We saw it on Sunday. He managed to, His time management has always been one of his most underrated qualities. His, his ability to overtake and his just natural raw speed have always been talked about a lot. But his tyre management skills are definitely up there with the very best, and they're not talked about enough, in my opinion. So I think that that was probably the, that was probably the main bit of magic that enabled him to to win on Sunday. And Liv, is this something that they can repeat? Is this a repeat performance, or was this just the fluke of of the tyres and the heat, meaning Mercedes couldn't perform? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's. Unlikely it can be repeated over and over and over again at this moment in time, because as we've said over and over again, Mercedes are dominant right now and there's not a lot that's going to change that. Ferrari are no threat, Red Bull are some threat. They have one incredibly strong driver and one driver that's still struggling a little bit to find sort of where he sits in Formula One. Um, however, I've just been having a look at the stats as we look at Spain um, coming up this weekend and the last five years of uh, winners in 2015 you had Mercedes with Nico Rosberg in 2016 you actually had Max, Max Verstappen in 2016 how young was he then in 2017 you had Lewis with Mercedes 18 Lewis with Mercedes and 19 Lewis with Mercedes so obviously there's a pattern there there's a in the past five years there's been four out of five of those have been Mercedes wins but one of them was Max and he's just come off a brilliant brilliant weekend and a brilliant, brilliant win so I'm not going to put it past him. I think that it's definitely possible. But for the season as a whole, they're not going to catch, I don't think. I would love it if they did, honestly. I would love it. I think it's going to be, like, it would be 10 times more exciting to have the, the championship really being fought for in every race. Um, however, this weekend, there's a possibility. We're going to have to see how he does. The weather, you know, it's, it's going to possibly might be a wet race, certainly a very cloudy, dull race, which means the track might not be as hot as last week, even though the temperatures might be up there. There's not going to be as much sun beaming down. Um, 
there's a possibility and I don't think we should rule Max out especially as he's got history of winning there he hasn't actually secured a, a pole position there before it's always been Mercedes in the past five years but you know he doesn't need a pole position to win so let's see what happens so Nico Hulkenberg's pink panther started he finished seventh Lance Stroll finished sixth racing point were untroubled and at times untouchable on the track however off the track it's been a very different story. Angus, tell us more. Yeah, so it's difficult to think of a, of a, a more whirlwind few weeks in Formula 1 for a certain team than it has been for Racing Point over the last, well, four, four to six weeks that the season has uh, taken place over. So obviously, one of the big news is, for probably for the, I'd say the first, one of the first times ever in Formula 1 history, I can't think of an occasion, where a driver has had to sit out because of illness-related concerns. Uh, Sergio Perez testing positive for COVID-19 before the first of the two races at Silverstone, uh, being replaced by Nico Hülkenberg, of course, uh, who did very well, we have to say, outqualified his teammate Lance Stroll in the second race at Silverstone by a four-tenths of a second to get P3, and without a late problem with vibrations on the tyres, would have finished top five in that race, possibly, or at least top six. So... In that case, it's been a whirlwind few weeks for Racing Point based on the driver situation. And off the track as well, it's been turbulent, to say the least. So when I last spoke about the topic of their their car and their brake ducts specifically after the Styrian Grand Prix, their uh, brake ducts and the Mercedes brake ducts have been impounded by the stewards after a protest by Renault. Renault then made two more identical protests after the Hungarian Grand Prix and then another one after the first of the two races at Silverstone, the British Grand Prix. In between the two races at Silverstone, Renault's protest was upheld, the big news that was, and Racing Point were given a €400,000 fine and deducted 15 points from the Constructors' Championships. The ruling was a bit of a strange one, though. It had ruled that the Racing Point car, the RP20, had in fact complied with the regulations, but because the because Racing Point had based the design from basically there's these things called CAD drawings, so basically like just traces of the designs given to them by Mercedes as part of the cooperation that those two teams have. It was Mercedes who were considered the designers of the brake ducts and not Racing Point. That meant that even though Racing Point had been punished, the design process of the brake ducts was in fact legal. So Racing Point, so far, at this moment in time, have been allowed to keep these brake ducts on their car for the rest of the season and possibly carry that over into 2021 due to the freezing of the regulations that's had taken place to cut costs. This has left a lot of teams having misgivings and being furious at the decision. And it's led to a lot of back and forth in the media and also in possibly in the courtroom in the future. Um, but the main news right here, right now, is that four teams notified of their intention to appeal originally. So that was Ferrari, Renault, Williams and McLaren. And also Racing Point themselves did an appeal themselves, which I'll get onto later. Williams and McLaren appealed originally on the basis the ruling confused what the DNA of the sport was. If you think about the history of those two teams, they've been, they are behind Ferrari, the two longest serving teams in Formula One history, both been around since the 60s and 70s. And their concerns were about the DNA of the sport. So those two teams, you would never, they are privateer teams. You'd never see them really align themselves too much to a manufacturer. And they are used to designing their own cars, coming up with their own aerodynamic concepts. So the idea of a team such as Racing Point basically taking so much relief out of Mercedes's book that they did, this uh, this absolutely horrified them. However, in the end, they decided not to appeal and their case fell down. However, Ferrari and Renault have formally decided to appeal. 
Um, they feel the punishment does not go far enough. Renault said themselves, the Renault team principal Cyril Abitable said that he wants all teams to have to be able to design aerodynamic concepts by themselves in 2021. Racing Point's appeal is based on the fact that they think that the decision to punish them at all is completely ridiculous. Lawrence Stroll, who the, the, who's the owner of the team, doesn't make public statements very often, but he came out on the Sunday before the 70th anniversary Grand Prix with a, fair to say, a strong statement saying that he was appalled by the poor sportsmanship of our competitors and the accusations of cheating. Um, Racing Point's grievance mainly comes from the fact that they say that back in February and March, so around the pre-season testing period, the FIA came into their factory, checked their car after some concerns were raised by the similarities to the Mercedes from last year. And the FIA, according to Racing Point, said they had no qualms with it, they moved on, and they said the car was legal to race. However, you get to July, and Renault have done these appeals, and all of a sudden, Racing Point have been slapped with this massive fine, this points deduction, and said the that the concept of copying shouldn't be allowed. And with Mercedes as well, of course, we know about their close cooperation with Racing Point and giving them the brake ducts and the design in the first place. They could, with them possibly being drawn into the affair due to their provision of these brake ducts, this saga looks set to rumble on. And it's not something that will be resolved quickly. And we could see a lot of back and forth in the, in the courts over the next few weeks, possibly months, um, especially as teams... If you think of how close the midfield is right now, or the upper midfield, those 15 points that Racing Point have had taken from them mean that they're currently in fifth place in the constructors. But you give them back those 15 points, and that takes them above Ferrari and McLaren into third place in the constructors' championship. So it shows that a lot, a lot rides on possibly the results of the appeals from both Racing Point and the other teams. So this saga looks set to go on and on. Do you think the Racing Point punishment was deserved? Um, and also, how much of do you think this could be a crucial moment in Formula One's history in terms of what are considered the fundamentals of the sport and how teams should be designing their own aerodynamic concepts? Reacting to this this ruling so far, the points deduction and the fine, I see this as an attempt by the FIA to sort of try and please everybody. They're trying to please Mercedes and Racing Point by essentially saying what they did was not illegal and they will not be kicked out of the sport and that they will not be sort of... Um, red flagged off the track but then you're also trying to please Renault and Ferrari let's say by giving Racing Point a punishment and saying well actually they'll have to drop down to the constructors but then you're also not giving them such a harsh fine we are creating a precedent or a culture where basically any team can go and dob in another team and doing so they know that that will result in their competitors then getting seriously hampered in the constructors or individual championships. I mean, looking at the constructors at the moment, while they've dropped down to, I believe it was fifth, you said, Angus, it's so close there that who's to say that if Racing Point have another few weekends, um, the remaining races, shall we say, that are scheduled, if they finish as well as they did in the last Silverstone Grand Prix, they can make these points up if everything goes um, in their direction. And, and as well, they're, they're sort of trying to please or to fit in line with the 2021 verdict. We all know that the cars will have to stay the same, as in we'll be getting the, 20, the sorry, 2020 cars in 2021. They're freezing that, as you said. So they can't go back on that and say, well, these brake ducks are, in fact, illegal. You've got to remove them. You've got to essentially redesign a part of your car. Because let's say, hypothetically, of course... Racing Point come back with new brake ducts 
these brake ducts are far superior, I know it's unlikely, for this car and they're able to create an even better unit. Then you're going to go and get Renault and co saying, well this isn't fair, they've been able to redesign their car. So they're trying to keep the, the genie in the bottle and stop this sort of can of worms opening with a sort of damage limitation uh, penalty. And I think... Of course, it's going to rumble on in the courts, as we saw with Ferrari. This thing is going to, you know, gather momentum off track, and probably not be resolved to everyone's um, satisfaction. But I can't see there being a huge ruling uh, in the future. I think this will just rumble on, uh, as you say, and, and and peter out as most of these sort of things do. Um, yeah, so I think there's no doubt in the fact that they deserved a punishment in my opinion anyway, I think that it's very clear that it wasn't an infringement of the rules. Well, <laughs> see, that's when it gets complicated, but it's not fair. Okay, that's the, the point of it. What have they done wasn't fair and it wasn't right for this season. Yes, think things have been different when the exchange of information had happened last year, but at the end of the day, for this season, it's not fair. Punishment needed, absolutely done. However, I understand how difficult it is to find that balance. If, as you say, they had just said you can make new ones, new break darts, and then they were better. You know, that makes even more complications. I would say, though, that I personally don't think the punishment was enough because, yes, that's, you know, it's a chunky fine, it's a big amount of money, but Lawrence Stroll is very rich. <laughs> and also, F1 teams are very rich. So I feel like that could set a precedent in the future of teams thinking, oh, God, we really need to make a change in our car, you know. But even if it's a little bit illegal, it's fine because we'll get a fine of whatever, however much. But we can, we've got, we've got that in the that much money spare in the budget. You know, let's just risk it in order to get this better car. And that, that is the wrong sort of president to have. If that's all, they just get a fifteen point dock and a bit of a fine. Um, I, again, I don't have a better suggestion, but it's not my job to have a better suggestion. So uh, <laughs> I'm not too bothered. But what I'm saying is, I think that personally, I understand why these complaints are coming in because it doesn't seem like enough. And then you mentioned, you know, what could, sort of impact could this have on Formula One as a whole? I think it will be very interesting to see more about Mercedes' role in this. Um, uh, Christian Horner has made a quite big point, I think, of saying that Mercedes could be held legally accountable for its role in, in this whole saga. And therefore, you know, what could this lead to for Mercedes? I think it's unlikely because of their dominance in the sport, that much is going to happen. However, you know, we don't know. It's 2020. It's the year <laughs> of, you know, so many unexpected things happening. So I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on because Mercedes being the biggest team and then something hitting them, you know, that could come up in the future, whether it be a fine or whether it be um, some sort of ruling, you know, it could make a huge difference to the sport that we watch every week. So wait and see. Right, Tom, introduce Tom. me. Tom Playman. Calling Tom Clayman. Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. I'd muted myself, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'd actually start speaking as well. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> now, continuing with Renault, we briefly spoke about them just now. The 23 year old Frenchman Esteban Ocon finished 8th in the British Grand Prix, while his senior Aussie counterpart, Daniel Ricciardo, finished a measly 14th. These results currently see Ricardo reside in ninth place in the Drivers' Championship, while the young Ocon is just a place below him in 10th, with a mere four points currently separating them. These individual efforts have resulted in Renault being sixth place in the Constructors' Championship after just five races. Liv, if you were a part of the Renault team, 
How would you view their start to this 2020 campaign? I would view it pretty well, actually, and I'll go into more detail of why that is in a minute, but just a quick summary of their results and their weekend at the 70th anniversary Grand Prix at Silverstone. So starting with FP1, uh, Ockham was 10th, pretty average, pretty in the middle. Um, Ricardo was actually 17th at the end of that session, but he was doing tyre testing because of the issues that so many teams had the previous week with with tyres. They wanted to test the tyres in that heat. FP2, Ricardo was a brilliant third place. Um, he, he did really well. His car was obviously performing really well. Of course, you know, you could argue some of the other cars may not have been performing to their best ability, but third place in FP2 is really good for Ricardo. And Ocon was again 10th. He likes to just sit in that area, I think. FP3, Ocon was ninth. Again, you know, sticking with his average. And Ricardo was uh, 14th. Then in qualifying, we had a really great result from Ricardo in fifth. So in, in P5 um, for the race, good, really, really good for Ricardo. One of his best for a very long time. Ocon was originally in 11th, but he did get a grid penalty down to 14th for um, impeding George Russell on a flying lap uh, during quali. So... You mentioned the race results. Ocon went all the way from 14th up to 8th and Ricardo unfortunately did the opposite and went from 5th to 14th. So let's talk about their weekend. So Ricardo, obviously he impressed greatly in FP2 and in quali. Um, however, um, during the race, a decision to take a set of medium compound tyres for his uh, second stint of the race actually caused him to lose a lot of pace and he dropped down the order as other cars were actually getting quicker. At one point, he was behind uh, Sainz, Albon and Vettel sort of in that group and tried to squeeze the McLaren. Um, but unfortunately, he spun off. This was like really disappointing for him. He managed to, you know, control the car and get back on track. But this lost him a lot of time. He actually went into the pit stops. I'm sure maybe his his tires were a little bit damaged in that in that spin. He went into the pit again, and so that caused him to lose more places. And obviously, as we know, he ended up in 14th. Ocon, um, he was one of the only three drivers to successfully work a one-stop strategy during this race. Um, I think that was along with uh, Charles Leclerc and uh, Kimi Raikkonen. So. He described the car handling really well and being able to hold off a lot of the other competitors, such as the McLarens and the Racing Points, which is obviously their key competitors in the championship. Um, and obviously, as we know, he finished eighth, which is a brilliant leap from where he started. So this put the um, them at the end of the race, as you mentioned, Ricardo in ninth and Ocon in tenth in the driver's standings and Renault in sixth. Renault are on 36 points right now. If you make a comparison to last year, after five races last season, they were on 12 points. So this is a huge, huge improvement. So you asked me if I would be feeling positive. Yes. Um, you know, it was a mixed race for Ricardo, a mixed weekend for all of them, really. But, you know, this is positive, positive stuff coming from this team, especially from such a tough past few years. And we mentioned a few weeks ago when we were talking about the signing of Fernando Alonso, how he was needed to bring them out of this slump. Yes, they're still in the slump, but these results are suggesting an upward curve. Um, you know, Ocon said at the end of the weekend that he felt like that he could compete almost with the big boys, with the big players, and he wants to. He's got that fight in him to do so. And Ricardo said even though he did have a bit of a tough weekend, there were huge positives to bring out and a lot to look forward to for this weekend. You know, they're performing great. They have got some off-track issues, you know, with, with their various appeals. But I think that for some reason this season something has just changed a little bit and obviously I you can't just go ahead and say you know everything's going to be great for them now this was this was one weekend and they happened to do okay however I just think that there's a, there is an attitude in them that is a little bit better and I think when they have Alonso with them next year you know that's that could be 
a good year. Obviously, you might remember my disappointment that they weren't using the Driver Academy um, and some of those young talents coming up. However, you know, that's what they chose. And I'm just excited to see where that goes. So my question for you guys, really, I've got a couple. It's are Renault on the way up, do you think? Is this an upward curve or was it a bit of luck with a reasonably successful weekend where they proved reasonably competitive? And what do you think of their performance? Like, Were you impressed or was it, in your mind, just expected and average? Yeah, I, I, th- I think they are on an upward curve and I'm hoping that it will only continue. This is a really hard season because we've got some odd races in there which are going to be sort of tough on that on the Renault car with the Renault power unit. Um, for the same reason why Mercedes is going to be really, really fast and therefore the racing points will. Renault is going to be a bit slower in places like Monza, I believe. And so we it's going to be difficult not to keep measuring them as we would a normal season. You've got to keep reminding yourself that things are a little bit different. But hopefully they can use the insight from this year and especially next year live when Alonso comes back and use his expertise as well to really build a car around their driver. And I think they'll nail that. And I really do hope they do, because I, I suppose what we've seen so far is is that Renault has come straight back into the sport and had had and they have been struggling recently. I think when when they announced they were going to come back in a few years ago, I expected them to just start performing again because I'm so used to I was used to the Renault that, that won the world championship. And clearly it's a completely different kettle of fish. And I'm really hoping that they will learn from the season. And as we go back into a bit of a normal season um, with with the backing of someone like Alonso, they can just keep going up. And so, yeah, I think it's a bit of a shame this weekend. I still think that uh, Ricardo was, you know, it was a bit of a measly position that he came in. Um, but him and Ocon are great drivers. Um, it's, uh, so I think they extracted everything they can out of the car and are good at giving them good performance numbers. And yeah, I think they will continue to go up. Um, we just have to remember that they won't be as fast as Mercedes because no one will be. You can definitely see that Renault are on an upward curve. Their points improvement has been very, very impressive so far this season. However, you do get the impression that quite a few, that there are there are just quite a few teams on a, on an upward curve right now. You could say like Racing Point. Obviously, it may prove that their the design of their car may prove illegal soon enough. But right now. It's been ruled legal, and that's helped them uh, reach the levels they have, which could be classed as an upward curve. Uh, McLaren as well showing improvement, uh, being able to fight it more with the big with the big boys. Um, so that's also an upward curve. So you got to say those three teams who were sort of the the upper midfield already have all shown improvements. So I'd say that for Renault to really have the impact that they want, they got to make it. They've got to make it an even bigger upward curve, if that makes sense. There have been positive signs, though, for sure. I certainly didn't expect um, the pace that they sh- showed at both races at Silverstone to uh, to come about. I mean, they were they were a decent pace in the two races in Austria and the one in Hungary, but the pace advantage they'd gained over the teams around them at Silverstone seemed to have come from absolutely nowhere. Um, you suddenly had Daniel Ricciardo getting fourth in the first race and then getting a very, very solid fifth in qualifying. Um, yes, he did drop off in the race, but it shows that the raw pace is there. But I think I won't. I wouldn't be too convinced about them seriously uh, challenging further up unless they had that over a sustained period. If they could then have that over a sustained period for the rest of the season and carry that momentum into next season when Fernando Alonso could take over the team in that drive in that driving seat, and then we know what his reputation is for 
managing to drag every last ounce out of a, a less competitive car, then maybe there could be some some roots of growth for Renault. But I think we need to see their sort of their improvement this season so far take place and keep going for the rest of the season. Otherwise, I wouldn't be too convinced by it. I don't think that we're going to see Renault as best of the rest just because Racing Point is just copying Mercedes and they've got the Mercedes power unit. And therefore, I don't think we're actually going to get to the position where Renault could win the championship until we get the new rules in. So just you know, limit your expectations a little bit. The Ferrari driver Charles Leclerc is fourth in the Drivers' Championship with 45 points after finishing fourth in the second British Grand Prix last Sunday, despite only qualifying eighth. Ordinarily, a Ferrari driver being 28 points of the third-place driver in the individual Drivers' Championship and a huge 62 points of first place after just five races would rightly be seen as a disaster for the prancing horses. However, as established multiple times in this podcast series, Ferrari's 2020 car is well off the pace for the leading car of Mercedes. On a bad day, such as qualifying for the second Silverson Grand Prix on Saturday, this gap amounted to 1.3 seconds, which in layman's terms means that Charles Leclerc is currently driving a car that is technically and statistically has little chance of winning a race on pace alone, and even then has a reduced chance of finishing above their nearest competitors of Red Bull and McLaren on a race day. As demonstrated by Leclerc's highest qualifying position being just 7th place, this being all the way back in the Austrian season opener and behind rivals of Max Verstappen and Lando Norris on a regular basis after this, many people are now wondering how is Charles Leclerc currently in 4th place of the Drivers' Championship despite such a poor qualifying record? Well, looking at the second Silverstone Grand Prix, race uh, in isolation and specifically he was significantly helped by Ferrari's garage and strategists more generally. Here Ferrari ran a low downforce for the 22 year old in attempt to try and offset the car's straight line speed disadvantage. Furthermore they also ran a one-stop strategy which saw Leclerc start on the mediums and end on the hard tyres. This subsequently saw him jump the two racing points, Daniel Ricciardo and Pierre Gasly. Um, the same cannot be said for Ferrari's other driver of Sebastian Vettel. After he qualified in 13th place, he was only able to finish one place above that, this being 12th. After the strategist put him on hard tyres for 11 laps and the softer compound for 18. A decision which saw the 33-year-old German release into traffic and exclaim into his team radio, and I quote, you know that you've messed up. It's clear there's been a mixed weekend for Ferrari's two individual drivers, but what do you make of these events collectively? Was last Sunday evidence that Ferrari has turned a corner in many respects and can make the best of a bad situation and a bad car? Or once again, are they yet again happily prioritising one driver at the expense of another? What do we think? It's difficult to say whether they turned a corner, I'd say. It's a weird one at Ferrari right now because they've got one driver who is very much outperforming the performance of the car in Leclerc. I mean, there is like there is no way that his car deserved to be in fourth place uh, this weekend in the race, but he's somehow, somehow dragged it there, um, which we have to respect very much. I mean, it's a phenomenal effort from him. And then you've got a driver in Vettel who finished 12th, where the car is definitely 
not that slow. If you were doing like if you were doing like a sort of Noah's Ark two by two on the grid, that would make the Ferrari the sixth fastest car, which it isn't. It's about it's kind of like it sort of it has ups ups and downs, but it's probably about the the sort of fourth fastest car really behind the Mercedes, the Red Bull, and typically the Racing Point. It's kind of on a par with the Renault, um, and especially about the McLaren this weekend because McLaren struggled a bit. So it is a very it is a very weird one. They got one driver outperforming it so much, and one driver who is just underperforming in it so much. In terms of whether they're favouring Leclerc a bit more, I I don't I I mean we don't know obviously everything behind the scenes, but there's there definitely seems to me there's something going on. I mean, the fact that Vettel had that it wasn't a full on out, outburst on the radio, but. I remember watching the race and hearing that radio message come through, and just and the when the bit where he's like, "Oh, we spoke about it this morning." That's not too inflammatory, but the words, "You know, you've messed up." To say that, knowing it's going to go public, I mean, there must be you'd think a relationship there is just completely broken down. Um, so I, it's I, it's almost like. Maybe they're sort of not deliberately favouring Leclerc, but maybe but it must be in the back of their heads that obviously they've got a driver who they signed for a long-term contract who's going to be the, what they hope is the star of the team, hopefully can lead them back to glory like Michael Schumacher did when he joined the team. Um, and they've got a driver as well who his performance levels have dropped from his absolute peak and who knows he's leaving the team and who who... Just doesn't Vettel just doesn't seem to have as much motivation, but maybe that's fed by his team sort of not favouring him um, as much. Even though in the press conference today before the Spanish Grand Prix, Vettel himself said that um, if he felt he wasn't he was being given unequal treatment, he would speak up and say something. And he said, noting that he hasn't so far. Yeah, it is it, it is a weird one at Ferrari right now. It's but it's basically it's. I mean, it's easy to throw around the term transition year when your team's doing badly, but it is a transition year. And the fact that this car is going to be kept as well for next year uh, due to the freezing of the regulations, um, it's, going to, it's looking like a very very bleak period, possibly Ferrari, looking ahead, with the only ray of hope possibly being the outstanding performances of Charles Leclerc. It's, it's, it's a real shame that Vettel's where he is. One can always tell what sort of mood Vettel's in when driving the Ferrari, by if he speaks in Italian or not, and I miss I miss him yelling grazie at the end of the races. And I was I had if you had your ear to the ground in, in F1 news, um, Mattia uh, Bonotto, the team principal Ferrari, did give some insight into why he thinks the clerk did better. Uh, he said that it was due to Vettel spinning at the beginning of the race, which is probably why he couldn't recover. And he's probably correct. Vettel doesn't help himself by spinning um there was also uh, an admission from ferrari there was a small problem on the aero and his car so they're fixing that and you know maybe that was enough maybe that was enough to spin vettel um he's a bit like princess and the pea you can just feel the problem in the car and it made him spin so yeah I, I think vettel doesn't help himself and as you say angus coming publicly stating that you've messed up it, it shifts the blame from himself and i think to some extent it, it was kind of his fault as well um because it's it's a real it's a real shame that he's now at the point where he he just doesn't like the team anymore, and I don't know where he goes from this really because he's not helping himself get a new contract next year because just just leaving a team in 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 bad shape and um, with burnt bridges sort of puts other teams off taking you because no one likes to hire a dick 
and you know Vettel is such a great guy in the paddock and does such amazing things like offers his umbrella to the sound man of of one of the uh, TV crews so he just needs to pick himself up and dust himself off and try and you know put some water under the bridge between him and Ferrari and accept that he makes the mistakes as well as they do Ferrari do make mistakes when it comes to the strategy I mean Tom you you highlighted the tyre thing which was hilarious I mean I'm no idea. Someone went through and thought, yeah, let's just put them on the softer tyre for more laps. That'll do. Yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, they don't help themselves. Neither of them help themselves. So I just want them to sort of grow up a bit, shake hands, and hopefully Vettel will leave on good terms. And Leclerc's loving it there, and he can extract so much performance out of the car. And this will be really important for him because it's going to show everyone that he can do well in Ferrari even when they're not doing great. And it's also highlighting at the moment how bad Vettel is, just in the fact he's making mistakes. So... They both need to just sort of look in the mirror, him and Ferrari, Vettel and Ferrari, and sort of determine how they're going to move forward in order to benefit them, both of them. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would agree with you both in some regards. I do think this is sort of damage limitation uh, from Ferrari. They know they've got this this god-awful car, let's put it plainly, for two years, and they know that they're starting this campaign with a driver who ultimately is not going to be here next season, somebody who already has his foot out of the door. So the problem of this disjointment may mean that Ferrari's going forward into 2021, 2022, uh, in the future, not as a sort of cohesive and coherent unit, all pulling in the same direction. There may be bitter taste in the mouth of many, which could have repercussions in the future. If you're a fan of Ferrari, if you're in that Ferrari team, if you're somebody who's going to be driving for them in the future, naturally, you don't want that to happen. But if things continue where, they, where they're going, it's the far that Leclerc is preferred, he's given uh, the, the, the better equipment, in my opinion, the better strategy, and the second driver of uh, Vettel isn't, it would be foolish to say there wouldn't be repercussions, I'll put it that way. And so ends another episode of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you very much to Liv, Tristan, and Angus as ever for contributing with such expertise on a wide array of topics. First of all, we spoke about Max Verstappen. He was able to win this race. He was able to silence many of the critics from the previous and first Silverstone Grand Prix. Will this be something we see in the future? Max Verstappen winning a race in 2020. Discuss. Uh, secondly, we talked about Racing Point and Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg finished in seventh place after qualifying in third. Racing Point have been in the news for all the wrong reasons off the track. They've had a huge point deduction as well as a fine. This will still be rumbling on. And the main perpetrators of that appeal, Renault, we've been looking at them as well. We're seeing here from the points uh, from individual drivers of Esteban Ocon and Ricardo, as well as the team collectively, there's an upward trend. But how big will this trend and trajectory be? Only time will tell. And finally, we've spoken about Charles Leclerc. We've established multiple times that this Ferrari car is not up to scratch. It's far away from the Mercedes who are leading the championship. But Leclerc somehow is in fourth place of this championship. Um, only time will tell whether he's able to continue this and whether or not his preference to uh, Vettel's dejection, shall we say, uh, at Ferrari will have repercussions in the future. Thank you very much for listening. This has been F1 in Review and we'll catch you in the next episode where we're talking about Spain.